friends. I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And this is part two of The Silent Patient. Um, if you did not see part one, um, we do a synopsis of the book. So if you haven't read it or just you just don't want to read it and you want to know what it's about, go listen to part one and then come back here and join us on part two. I am going to kick us off on Goodreads. Uh, Tabby and I use Goodreads a lot. Mm-hmm. We track our books there, but also um, this is about to be kind of a cool little thing that we add in because Alex Michaelides, who is the author of The Silent Patient, wrote notes to give a little bit of insight into the novel. So he writes a note on the excerpt. The painting was a self-portrait. She titled it on the bottom left-hand corner of the canvas in light blue Greek lettering, one word, Alcestis. He said, the Greek myths are hard to escape growing up in Cyprus, as I did. You were taught Homer from the age of 13 in school, and the tragedies are constantly being performed and reimagined. I came across the tragedy Alcestis by Euripides when I was 13. Alcestis dies to save her husband, Admetus, and then is brought back to life by Heracles at the end of the play. But when Alcestis is reunited with her husband, she refuses to speak, much like our girl Alicia. Um, He said, it's a problematic play for all kinds of reasons. It's not often performed largely, I think, because of this silence. Is she overjoyed to see him or is she furious he allowed her to die for him? Something about this refusal to conclude, to explain, has haunted me for years, as well as something about Alcestis herself. She sacrificed, or sorry, she was sacrificed, deemed disposable by the man she loved most in the world. This sense of being made to feel unworthy struck a chord with me. I searched for a way to update it and tell that story for years, but it was only after I worked in a secure psychiatric unit that I had the idea of setting the story inside a psychiatric hospital with the structure of a detective story. And instead of a detective, I would have a psychotherapist. But it was a real challenge having a mute heroine. At some point in the book, her silence is described like a mirror, reflecting yourself back at you. Silence is her only weapon. She has no recourse other than silence because no one will believe her story. I think a lot of people, particularly women, can relate to that. So Michael or Alex Michaelides. Feminist icon. (laughs) Feminist icon. We stand. Um, The next excerpt that he comments on is the real motivation was purely selfish. I was on a quest to help myself. I believe the same is true for most people who go into mental health. Speak for yourself, Theo. We are drawn to this profession profession because we are damaged. We study psychology to heal ourselves. So Alex says, I'm very fond of Theo as troubled as he is. Early on in the book, he says he became a psychotherapist because he was messed up. That was certainly my experience. And I believe a lot of therapists are drawn to this profession because on some level they feel damaged and wish to heal themselves. Whether they are prepared to admit this or not is another question. I feel that Theo, like all of us, tries to justify himself. Everyone is the hero of their own story after all. I think Theo's motives, at least in his own mind, were benign. A wish to help Alicia heal, as he says. In a sense, that's no different to the motive of any therapist, even if his methods were a little different. Which, you're kind of losing me there a little bit, Alex. Yeah, like, like I don't fully agree with you there, buddy. <laughs> Let's not support Theo too unconditionally. He didn't do, like, he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, he was wrong. Um... The next excerpt says the development of our personalities doesn't take place in isolation, but in relationship with others. 
We are shaped and completed by unseen, unremembered forces, namely our parents. That hits hard. That hit, yeah. (laughs) So Alex says, I studied psychotherapy at a post-grad level, although I didn't graduate as I decided I was a writer, not a therapist. But I have a lot of therapy myself, 10 years or so, and felt I had never really seen a therapy session and a book that resembled my own experience. I was very keen to explore trauma in the novel and to ask the question of whether we can recover from traumatic childhood or not. My own personal opinion is that it's possible to recover from a traumatic childhood if you hold it in awareness and understand what happened to you and why. But if you are in denial about it or lying to yourself, then you are more likely to be condemned to reenact and repeat it. We need to understand not only what happened to us when we were children, but also what happened to our parents when they were children. Only by understanding can we can can we forgive others and ourselves? And I will like, I will speak to this a little bit because first of all, if any of you are considering counseling, but you haven't um, taken that step, you should. I think if you are considering it at all, you absolutely should. There's really no downside Mm -hmm. um, aside from that. It can be expensive, unfortunately in America. Um, Love that for us, but (laughs) it's definitely uh, something I recommend. And when I did counseling myself, um, one of the things that I was struggling with was my father, unfortunately, is kind of the worst. And so we talked a lot about that. And my counselor did have me acknowledge um, what happened to my parents when he was a child and how is that affecting how he parented me? So it's definitely something that becomes a cycle. Um if you guys are kind of familiar with the term generational trauma, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of just the fact that you keep doing things the wrong way over and over again. And it never, never changes, really, <laughs> never really resolves itself. Um, so you have to acknowledge it before you can fix it. Yeah. Um, the next excerpt is somehow grasping at vanishing snowflakes is like grasping at happiness an act of possession that instantly gives way to nothing. So he says, the end of the novel links up with this. People often ask me why the end of the book references snowflakes. It's because in the final moments of his story, Theo thinks back to a brief moment in his childhood when he felt free and life was full of possibility. That kind of answers some questions. Yeah, it crushed my heart. (laughs) The next passage is, it's odd how quickly one adapts to the strange new world of a psychiatric unit. You become increasingly comfortable with madness and not just the madness of others, but your own. We're all crazy, I believe, just in different ways. So Alex says, I used to work at a secure psychiatric unit for teenagers, and it became an increasingly important part of my life. I would probably still be there now if the unit had not been closed down when all the National Health Service cuts were made after the 2008 banking crisis. It was a therapeutic community, which is a highly powerful, but not particularly cost-effective form of therapy. For example, a group of adolescents will stay for a period of up to four years immersed in the community, which includes therapists, doctors, nurses, and where all activities and therapies are group-based and all decisions regarding a patient's care are made by the group. It's a powerful healing process for these damaged young people who suddenly find themselves after so much abuse in the bosom of a highly functioning and caring family. I don't love the use of the word bosom, but that's just, yeah, that's disgusting. (laughs) That's on me. (laughs) He said it's an increasingly rare form of therapy, unfortunately, and it was a privilege to experience it. 
It changed me on a very deep level. I didn't know I was going to write The Silent Patient then, and I never used any of the stories or people I encountered there, but I kept a record of the atmosphere and my own emotional reactions. I used them in the novel, and that was very helpful. But I must say, I have an ambivalent relationship to therapy. The problem is, it all comes down to the skill of the individual therapist, and I encouraged some very bad... Oh, sorry. (laughs) He did not encourage them. He encountered some very bad therapists. I was like, dang, okay. <laughs> I, I encourage it um, with precious little empathy or insight. That is, I'm sure, very true. I even witnessed elements of sadism. Interesting. Mm. That was another reason why I quit my training. I don't care how many letters you have after your name or how many books you've written. If you know nothing about compassion or humility, then you have nothing to teach me. That. Damn, Damn, Alex. Okay. So then he comments on a quote by Sigmund Freud. (laughs) Our boy Sigmund. Um, The quote is, unexpressed emotions will never die. They are buried alive and will come forth later in uglier ways. So Alex says, again, this comes back to the importance of holding your own story and awareness. Before you can heal the damaged parts of yourself, you must get them into the light and have a good look. Repression and denial never bring anything good. Looking at you, Theo. (laughs) Good advice. Yeah, Theo, my boy. Um, The, oh, so this passage is a little longer. (laughs) It says, I know now that when I have an agenda for a picture, a predetermined idea, how it should turn out, it never works out. It remains stillborn, lifeless. But if I'm really paying attention, really aware, I sometimes hear a whispering voice pointing me in the right direction. And if I give into it as an act of faith, it leads me somewhere unexpected. Not where I intended, but somewhere intensely alive, glorious, and the result is independent of me with a life force of its own. So Alex says, this is a very personal passage for me. This is very much my voice speaking through Alicia. I'm not a painter, so I transpose to what it feels like for me as a writer. The more I meditate and operate in a state of awareness when I write, the more likely I will catch that whispering voice of inspiration pointing me in the right direction. Unless you are very quiet and still, it's often easy to miss which that one is kind of like, I don't know, I'm not really a super artistic person. So that doesn't resonate as much with me, but I'm sure it it means a lot to people who are creative creators. But anyway, yeah, those are Alex's thoughts on some of the uh, passages from his novel. No, I like that because some of it is like stuff that like he kind of left it open to interpretation. So I'm glad to see what, you know, his stance on it was. Yeah, like what he was thinking when he wrote it. It is interesting because then you can compare it to what you were thinking. Because, yeah, his thoughts on Theo were way different than my thoughts on Theo. So I'd I'd like to know like where his head was at when he was writing that. I also feel like whenever you create a character, you probably have a lot more love for them, Mm -hmm. you know, like because you're going to feel connected to them in some way. I feel like no matter the character, there's going to be some kind of piece of you in that character. For sure. Like, I don't know how you could avoid it. I think that's probably where his uh, connection to Theo is a little more strong, probably. For sure. Well, what were your just overall thoughts and feelings about it? What, what would you rate it? Overall thoughts, five out of five stars. Um, I love this book. It's one of my favorites. This is actually the second time I've read it. And it, it still held up for me. Yeah. I um, was super hesitant to read this book because I I don't typically do this, but I made the mistake of going on Goodreads and reading the reviews. And 
people were not happy with it. People did not like this <laughs> book. And so I was just like, oh God, I'm going to hate it. Now I was shocked by how much I enjoyed it. It like, I usually am pretty good about like putting stuff together. No, I was thrown for a loop. I had no freaking clue what the ending was going to be. I was pleasantly shocked and it was a super good book. Five out of five. I agree. He does an amazing job of interweaving the storylines because the first time I read it, I thought that the storyline with with Kathy was going on at the exact same time so did as I, with yeah. Alicia. And so just I was so caught off guard by the end because I was like, oh, <laughs> this is this is a flashback. Well- and it makes it so much funnier too. Like there's almost like a humor aspect or a humor element to it too. Because like looking back and like going through when he's talking to like all these side characters and like all these people and like they're telling him about what they saw and what they heard. He's just like, oh, it's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild that Yes. We were talking about like, especially when he visits the neighbor Barbie and she's like, Alicia saw a man. A man was stalking her. And he's like, What? <laughs> that is a wild yeah so just stuff like that like looking back on it's like I should have seen it coming but like I did it because like how are you supposed to know that those were flashbacks yeah (laughs) it makes more sense too I like what makes sense is that like the flash or like the storylines never converged at any point in time and Mm -hmm. so like no one ever met Kat or whatever her name was like no one ever met his wife like he didn't really talk much about her like while he was at work and like there were big like pointers to indicate like they were two different timelines but until you read that like you had no idea yeah and so the only time he does mention Kathy like in the context of the Grove is he like goes out for a drink with Yuri yeah and Yuri is like, what about you? Are you married? And he's like, yeah. Um, and then that's when he has like the flashback to when he first met Kathy and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's like clearly a flashback for us there. But then every other time we're just assuming like, oh, he's getting off work and going home. It's actually just consistent flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. But that's the whole point is like, you're supposed to like get to the end and be like, oh my oh, God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he did a great job of it. So when you were like reading this for the first time, and it's hard for me to like kind of go back to that first time, but why did you think Theo was like so hung up on helping her? Because it was weird. He like quit his job and got a new job for her. Initially, I thought it was because they were like a kindred spirit almost. Like they were two sides of the same coin. It's like every time Theo would talk about like his family's past and like all this stuff, like how it like shaped him. I think he felt that with Alicia almost. And so he wanted to see like what happened to like make her reach her breaking point when he hadn't reached his because he had Ruth. And so he's like, I'm next. Yeah. I think he wanted to like step into that same advisory role that Ruth had for him and do that for her. Um, Looking back on it now, it's just because he's trying to like placate his guilt. But um, like that's initially what I thought was because he wanted to provide to someone else what Ruth gave to him. Yeah. And I genuinely can't remember what I thought when I was first reading it, but that seems reasonable to me. I think he was also just an overly confident person. And you kind of saw that too, when he first walked in and talked with Diomedes and he was like, well, I know you couldn't do it, but I can. Yeah. And so like, I also think he kind of, like, I initially thought he saw it as like the biggest ultimate challenge. And if he he would prove that he was worth, you know, everything and not worthless, like what his father always told him. Yeah. 
Definitely. And I agree with you that like on some level, he probably did feel that way because on page 132, Theo is saying something bad happened to Alicia, probably early in her childhood to provoke those murderous impulses that emerged all those years later. So it's like, he's the whole time revealing he's also had a traumatic childhood. So he's probably like, okay, so if she can snap, like what's preventing me from snapping and like, how do we like make it so that people don't necessarily get to that point where they, you know, give in to those murderous (laughs) impulses. Another thing when she was on trial and they like John Felix displayed the Alcestis, we didn't know anything about John Felix at the beginning, but like, that's who would have displayed it. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like it's pretty fucked up. When I read it, yeah, I was just like, dude, like that's kind of in poor taste because she literally just murdered her husband. And that was the artwork that she created from, I don't like, it obviously wasn't guilt. It was anger that she felt towards him. Like initially I thought it was guilt. Um, like I thought she'd created that. I don't know, like to express like what she was, she was expressing what she's feeling, but we didn't know the story of Alcestis at that point or like what had happened to her necessarily. And so I thought it was in poor taste that he did that and then knowing more about John Felix when like he just wanted like notoriety from her work like it's even worse it's so messed up too because she like one of the last conversations she had with him was like I'm switching galleries like this partnership is over basically and then all this happens and he's like oh I'm gonna well no one knows that so (laughs) (laughs) it's so honestly, everyone in Alicia's life kind of treated her like garbage. So that was the thing that like, like the one thing I maybe didn't like about the book, and it's not that I didn't even like it. I did not like any of the characters. Like I feel like individually, they all had shit going on that like made them bad people. Because like, you know, I feel bad for Alicia you know, that her husband was cheating on her, that caused her to have a a mental break. But like, she also was like, not super kind to him, even before she knew that he was cheating on her. Like, she refused to get help. Like, she did not want to, I mean, I know that seeing Dr. West was not like good for her. Like, that was a bad choice on her husband's (laughs) part. But like, she's just kind of aggressive towards like her husband and like, had like fits of rage and like, kind of like if, if those are symptoms of mental illness, she wasn't getting like the help she needed at the yeah. same time. And I'm not like, I'm not like saying advocating that... for herself either though. Yeah. True. No one was advocating for her though. Yeah. It was like, it's a really tough thing. Yeah. And it's kind of like the people who were in her life that were supposed to love and care for her. I don't think we're doing a good yeah. job because she really needed, she really needed them. Like it was hard for her to fix those things on her own yeah. because of her mental illness. So definitely, but I think that was really the, dropped the ball. Yeah. That was the cool thing about it too, is that like, you really did get to see the humanity of everybody and how like, like he didn't sugarcoat it by any means. Like that was a very real situation that probably happens to a lot of people. And so, I mean, I, I'm glad that he put it in the book form. It just like, I don't know. I had a hard time like connecting with all of the characters <laughs> I did feel very um, disconnected. Like I was just watching the story. Yeah. And a lot of times with a story, I I will feel a bit more invested. Like I can see more of myself in the character. No, I was a spectator in this book. Like, Yeah. 100% agree. 
So <laughs> with like Alicia's diary entries, especially at the beginning, like, did you think like reading about all those things, like leading up to the murder? Yeah. Did you think she was the one who killed him or did you think she was like framed? No, I definitely thought she was the one who killed him. Um, yeah. Like I, at first I was like, mm, she had to have been framed, but I think because like, I don't know. I was just like kind of had the hunch that she killed him. Cause like, yeah. she was like obsessed with him to the point of it being like dangerous. And so yeah. that's why I figured that she killed him because she was basically like, if you know, I were to not have him, I wouldn't want to be here either. And so I figured she did have like some psychological break mm-hmm. and killed him and was like, all right, <laughs> I'll, I'll be out of my way too. Yeah. So, Cause like yeah, when I she was... painted him on the cross, like yeah. bestie, that's not, <laughs> that's not a normal thing to do. Yeah. No, I, I definitely thought she killed him. <laughs> yeah. I, t- I can't remember what I thought the first time I read it, but I don't know. There's a good chance that I, I, like, I maybe thought she was innocent at first. I don't know. Well, what did it for me, what convinced me of it was when she did paint him as Jesus, like, on the cross, because, like, (laughs) it was almost a sort of, like, religious dedication to him, and, like, she so wholly believed that he was there to, like, help her get better, and, like, she did not want to let him down, and she did not want to disappoint him, and, like, she's willing to do anything for him. Like, that type of dedication is unhealthy and like that yeah. just showed like how like not mentally stable she was and um, so yeah that was like when I was like yeah no, she, she killed this man <laughs> yeah you're like oh I, that ain't right <laughs> she's crazy crazy girl um it's funny I feel like I'm like basically asking you a bunch of questions about this That's but it's fine. because like it. I yeah so for those of you guys who don't know usually Tabby is the one that's read a book and recommends it to me so I kind of feel powerful right now having been the one who read this first um let's talk about Professor Diomedes because of all the characters I love him the most oh and Indira I feel like they both actually genuinely cared about their patients. I think Indira was an inherently good person. I do too. I think they legitimately, both of them wanted their patients to get the best care. don't. So I actually think Diomedes um, was trying to get his claim to fame and then dip out because like he knew they were going to shut down, but he's like, they will shut down when we figure out what the fuck's going on with this lady. And then they did. And he's like, he retired early and I'm sure they probably were like, you should retire early, but no, no, like he retired early. Like she was dead, like brain dead in a bed. And he was like, bet like we accomplished what we set out to do. Like yeah. I will see y'all later. But I feel like on that same, like on the flip side of that coin, he could have been like, I'm not willing to let this place go until I help this one woman, which yeah. is kind of how I, I don't know. I interpreted him as a character who like really did want the best for his patients. I just feel like he didn't have. It was just like necessary the means. second that Theo was like, she said a singular word to me. He was like, great. Call the board, call, call the press. Like we need her to do an interview. And it's like, she said one word, like she's not yeah. talking in sentences. And so that's why I kind of felt like he was trying to do it for the clout. Mm-hmm. Like he just, he wanted to be the institution that 
Yeah. That part, I can definitely see that side. When I first read it, I think I interpret it more as like, he was like really excited, but yeah, I don't think that would have been the right thing to do for sure. Like that was a bad call on his part, but luckily Theo was like, no, let's, let's see if she can form a sentence. Well, I also wonder if like, like, I wonder if they had told him about the diary and like, that was part of the reason why he left. (laughs) I don't know but then I don't know why he would have been like yeah this man needs to be the one who takes over for me I'm not sure yeah no I don't think he probably did know about that um he was just like yeah Theo he's he's he works hard (laughs) he's like he he really cares about this one specific thing he's really good (laughs) he's really good at his job another thing that I think is like interesting because okay so alicia alicia sorry did murder gabriel like that is a fact but it took it took a very um specific situation for her to snap and so i do think it's interesting that she had such violent outbursts against elif on two separate situ- like scenarios. I don't think it's weird. Because if you'll yeah. remember, when she, vi- like, one of her very first diary entries, she said that she has these dark thoughts, but she's using the diary to only put, like, positive, happy, creative thoughts in there. But, like, she'll get on a roll and start describing stuff. And she'll be like, yeah, and if this happens, like, I'll probably, and then she'll kind of drift off and be like, no, no, we're not going to go there. Like, this is for positive thoughts. And so I think she was having, like, these negative and violent thoughts. And, like, she was trying to, like, convince herself that it was, like, all in her head. So I think it took, like, that psychotic break to release, like, that negative mindset that she's always had. Yeah. And it could be that, like, yeah, once she snapped, it was just, like, there now. Yeah. But I just felt like it was kind of misplaced, like, against Elif. And I know Elif, like said things to provoke her like so the first thing first time she attacked elif it's because she asked alicia if gabriel deserved it and like that seems like a pretty normal thing for someone to ask but alicia she snapped the second time she doesn't make sense though because if you'll remember like she figured out who Gabriel was or who Theo was that first time that she attacked him. Like she mm-hmm. recognized him and got pissed off and like attacked him because he's the one who set all of that up. And that's when she started like trying to like play with his mind basically. And so I think she attacked Elif the second time because she was like, yeah, that man's falling in love with you and he cares about you and blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, fuck no, he doesn't care about me. Like this dude ruined my life. And yeah. so then she like got angry and attacked Elif. That Still shouldn't have done it, but well, yeah, but she also is unstable. Yeah. But yeah, that does make sense because also then if we want to kind of lump them together, like they both tie back to Gabriel and like yeah. how he died. So that does make sense that that would be like a trigger for her. Mm-hmm. So earlier we talked about how Alicia and Theo are kind of like parallels of each other. They both had super traumatic childhoods yeah. and we don't get as much detail um with Theo but I will pull up this passage he does mention that basically he had an abusive father and so on page 102 he's visiting Ruth at this point and um Ruth is like 
I want you to consider the possibility that you felt this sadness long before you met Kathy. It's one you've been carrying around for many years. And she goes on to say, um, is the pain of not being loved. Um, and then he's like, is all of this inevitable? I set myself up for this. Is it hopeless? And Ruth says, it's not hopeless. You're not a boy at the mercy of your father anymore. You're a grown man now and you have a choice. And so that's when she's like, leave. Like you couldn't leave when it was your father, No, (laughs) but now you're an adult. So leave. Do you think it's crazy that literally everything could have been avoided if he had just confronted Kathy about her cheating? (laughs) Yeah. And then he like acts like Alicia is the unstable one. Like, sir, (laughs) you caused literally like you're just pretending she's not cheating on you and then going after the wrong people. Like, yeah. And then like tying them up in their own home. So on page 191, he says, I had a sudden image of myself as a child, a little boy close to bursting with anxiety, holding in all my terrors, all my pain, pacing endlessly, restless, scared, alone with the fears of my crazy father. Uh, No one to tell, no one who'd listen. Alicia must have felt similarly desperate or she'd never have confided in Barbie. And so he's like seeing himself in her position for sure. Alicia's mother, on the other hand. What the fuck was that about? Like, I don't know (laughs) if he just sprinkled that in. She's like, yeah, she put us in her Mini Cooper and drove us into a brick wall. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So this is is not exactly where the parallel comes in. The parallel comes in more with their fathers. But Alicia's mother, (laughs) for background, um, was also mentally ill. I mean, it can be assumed. She was also mentally ill. And uh, like Tappy said, yeah tried to kill herself and her daughter kind of left her husband out of it, which is interesting um, yeah. that you would bring your kid into it, but not your husband. But um, yeah. So then it's brought up later. Alicia painted a portrait of her mother's accident. And so in the painting, like her mother's there and like her soul's leaving her body, but Alicia is not in the painting. So Theo asks, is this because she considers it her mother's tragedy only since she is the only one who died? And again, this is when Alicia is not talking. So, I mean, if she responded at all, it was probably just a blink or two. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I thought that was just a very weird thing to put into the story. Like it added to her trauma and stuff because like at the time he was trying to make everyone think that she was crazy because it's like oh well both of her parents killed themselves so like apple doesn't fall from from the tree type thing Mm -hmm. but like as much as that's probably a catalyst for her having like declining mental health I don't think that what pushed her over was her husband not loving her like the other stuff I think she could have survived from but yeah but still it would have been it would have been rough like it would have been something you would have to address and I'm not sure she ever did um and she didn't want to either yeah she kind of was just like no Gabriel will fix me <laughs> yeah it's like Gabriel's not Jesus my lord and savior Gabriel yeah the whole thing was just weird <laughs> she yeah she is weird and um, like everyone said that too throughout the whole book like I was like yeah Gabriel doesn't seem that bad and everyone's just like yeah no Gabriel's like a prick and I was like oh okay whatever and then it's like he's cheating on this whole time I'm like oh man he is a prick and like we were just seeing him through her eyes <laughs> yeah yeah I know And it is interesting, too, because um, Max, Gabriel's older brother, like had so much love for Gabriel. But there also was that dynamic of 
Gabriel was the biological child of their mm-hmm. parents, but Max was adopted. So there was jealousy there. And Max did try to like Mr. Steal your girl to his yeah. own brother. Um, so it is weird because like he loved Max so much. He has like a picture of Max on his desk um, after he passed away. And it's like, Gabriel. Then why did you treat him like, oh yeah, sorry. He had a picture of Gabriel. Um, then why did you treat him like that? Why did you try to like I think he was like he wants what he can't have and like also a mixture of like you don't know what you got till it's gone type thing and so as much as he did love his brother he wanted to either be his brother or be better than his brother yeah it's a real like you know who else needs counseling Max Max does <laughs> hope he's well um, absolutely you know what everyone go to therapy yeah so- it's good for you <laughs> Alicia's father, on the other hand, so he, you know, it was revealed um, that Alicia overheard him asking, why did it have to be her? Why didn't Alicia die instead? And Alicia responded by saying to Paul, dad just killed me. And so his, uh, sorry, her father hanged himself. Um, He could not cope when his wife died. And Alicia, in response, took an overdose of pills and like had a mental breakdown. And so Thea was like, oh, she must have loved him a lot then. And Paul was like, no, Alicia didn't love him. She hated her father. She despised him. She hated him ever since she was a kid, ever since her mother died. So that's heavy. <laughs> um, so do you again, think like she tried to kill, she tried to kill herself because of what her father said? It's possible, it's possible that it's like specifically because of that, but I just wonder because she was already like, so like mentally unstable yeah, and she's dealing with the grief of like, like all of these feelings are coming back up because like it's linked, it's linked to her mother dying too. Yeah. And so it's like, all of the grief is like overwhelming and I'm not sure she ever like was able to healthily like deal Mm -hmm. with the trauma of her mother dying. And then this just kind of like brings it all up. So I think she probably was just overwhelmed. Um, Because I think didn't care that her dad died. Like that's not what it was. No. No. Um, I think like too, that's why Theo was so drawn to her as well, because like, like, especially after he knew like she tried to overdose that first time with pills, which is how he had tried to initially kill himself as well. He was just like, Oh yeah. This was meant to be. Two peas in a pod, girl. He's like, roll me too. <laughs> and then, okay. Lastly, I just want to talk about the twist at the end because yeah. it freaking got me. Like, um, okay, so I have pages 311. Marked. Like, I think what like hit me so hard too was like if you go back to when we very first meet Theo, when he's talking about waiting in line to like go see her artwork and everything, it's just like like what you initially asked, why was he so obsessed with her? Like, how did he hear about her? That should have been like our initial clue. Like, why is this man standing outside her art exhibit, like watching like her painting and like seeing what she did when like, no, it absolutely was weird. And it did cross my mind as weird, but I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I guess he's just weird. Yeah. Like that should have been our first clue. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, absolutely. And the fact that he literally quit his job and applied for a new job to go moved, work with yeah. her. Well, and we don't, we didn't even know that he had moved his family, like had uprooted them and like all this yeah. stuff. Like that's crazy. My man's was unhinged. Um, okay. So what I have flagged here. So on page 311, this is Alicia's diary entry about what really went down when Theo broke into her house. So it's like a parallel of what happened with her father, obviously. Um, So Gabriel and I were alone. He was sobbing, crying, barely able to form words. He just kept calling my name, wailing, Alicia, Alicia. I remained silent. And then again, he calls. I remained silent. How could I talk? Gabriel had sentenced me to death. The dead don't talk. So it's like, my dad just killed me. It's the same thing. She's reliving that trauma. Right. So she walks around and faces him. Tears are streaming down his cheeks. And he's like, Alicia, you're alive. Thank God. And she said, I wish I could say I struck for the, oh, wow. I wish I could say I struck a blow for the defeated that I was standing up for the betrayed and brokenhearted, that Gabriel had a tyrant's eyes, my father's eyes, but I'm past lying now. The truth is Gabriel had my eyes suddenly, and I had his. Somewhere along the way, we had swapped places. I saw it now. I would never be safe, never be loved. All my hopes dashed, all my dreams shattered, leaving nothing, nothing. My father was right. I didn't deserve to live. I was nothing. That's what Gabriel did to me. That's the truth. I didn't kill Gabriel. He killed me. All I did was pull the trigger. So she has a complete fucking switcheroo. She's like, Gabriel and I switched places. Like, he was my whole world, the thing keeping me alive. And now I am what's standing between his, like, life and death. And, like, I'm calling the shots. And, like, I am his god basically yeah. when he had been hers and so she was like it's well, very powerful it was um i'm not gonna go so far as to say empowering because then she did shoot a man in the face <laughs> and we don't we don't do that Good we do not her. encourage that <laughs> um but yeah it was definitely a it was a villain origin story for miss alicia berenson well and i think too that's why she like like reacted the way that she did when she found out like who Theo was because like she had you know finally built the trust to like start talking and whatever and then she really like recognizes who he is and she flips like attacks him she's like you motherfucker I know it's just like (laughs) she was done so dirty so many times in her life (laughs) I know and so that's why I'm like again like I get it she is a murderer that sucks you shouldn't murder people but I just feel bad bad for her like she got ragged on from day one dude but yeah I mean altogether I loved the book I thought it was great it was poetic justice I do wish we knew (laughs) what happened to her honestly like she wants to die yeah (laughs) like she got what she wanted in the end Mm -hmm. so I do like I think because she is basically brain dead like there's probably um, a certain amount of time at which there would be like, like, I'm assuming the facility, like the Grove has some kind of like medical, like, I don't know, power of attorney. Yeah. Although I guess would Max 
Mm-mm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, her aunt, her aunt and cousin. Maybe her aunt. But I don't her know. Aunt would, I her hope. aunt would take her off of life support in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> her aunt would be like, die, bitch. <laughs> yeah. But I choose to believe she just went peacefully. I hope she did. Yeah. Poor, poor Alicia Berenson. Yeah, he most certainly will. <laughs> he done did a lot. I mean, he didn't technically kill anybody except for Alicia. He did. Yeah, he at least, I think, I don't know if she gets taken off life support. I don't know if that counts as like her being murdered. No, that's, that's murder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know like if there was like some stipulation to that. No. But yeah, absolutely. He is responsible for her death and he is indirectly a catalyst for Gabriel's death. I won't right. say he's responsible because Alicia, he didn't did pull the trigger, <laughs> but yeah, he certainly, he provoked it. He created the situation in which it occurred. You know what else sucked too was that like when he confronted Christopher or whatever, and was that his name? Christian? No, Christian. Christian. Christian, when he confronted him, he's like, why didn't you say anything? He's like, why didn't you go up like and say anything to the jury? And he's like, why didn't you testify? It's like, why didn't you testify? You guys. Yeah, I was there. I'm actually the one who tied them up. <laughs> what the fuck, bro? Why didn't you say anything? <laughs> yeah, Theo is very excited. He is my boy. He is <laughs> unhealed. But anyway, join us next week for another episode of Poetry Corner. We will be reading um, poems by Buddy Wakefield. Yeah, and don't forget to email us with any book recommendations that you have or anything that you want to discuss with us on the show. And we're super excited for Poetry Corner next week. And as always, let's get lit.